The voice of reason. The voice of alarm. The voice of stats. The voice of scouts. The voice of Kool-Aid. The voice of dismay. The voice of Davo. And what's going on? It's Davo, and I'm glad you're along for another edition of The Dish. On Clubhouse Conversation, this, of course, the place where we catch up with all your favorite current and former Royals players and hear from the source themselves. In fact, this week, we heard from Blake Perkins, a top 10, top 12 Royals prospect, current center fielder and leadoff hitter in Wilmington. Recently, I've heard from Carlos Hernandez down in Lexington, starting pitcher that potentially could be just as good as Jackson Coar, Brady Singer, Daniel Lynch, all the other starting pitchers you hear about. So all your current players during the season and favorite former players in the winter encourage you to go throughout the archives and find some good ones here at clubhouseconversation.com. And, of course, follow us on Twitter at Royals Clubhouse. But enough advertising. Let's get to the nitty-gritty of why you're clicking on this and listening. And in the past, we did these every single day. I don't know how I did that, by the way. I did a post-game recap every game, pretty much, from 2014 to 2016. Then last year, we did about every series. And this year, I've slacked a little bit, I'll be honest. I meant to do it about once a week. It's become every two to three weeks on the dish this year. But let's be honest. Not too many people have questions this year about the current bunch. Everyone's looking at the minor leagues, and we're going to talk a lot about the minor leagues in this edition of The Dish, about my trip to see the Wilmington Blue Rocks, the high A affiliate of the Royals in Wilmington, Delaware. Recently went and saw them. I also went and saw the Class AA Northwest Arkansas Naturals, and I'll work my way up to AAA Omaha Storm Chasers next week. So I think this will be a fun edition of The Dish. We will talk a bit about the Major League Club, which currently right now is somehow a game better than Baltimore. How in the world are the Royals not the worst team in baseball? I I can't figure it out. Every day I watch this team and I'm like, there is a team worse out there than the Royals, and that's Baltimore. So the Royals, uh, not the worst team in baseball. They do have a series coming up with Baltimore at the K here in a bit. That'll be interesting to see what happens in that one. But we will talk a bit about the big league club and some of the particular individual players. But let's start with the minor leagues, because I don't think anybody wants to hear about the 7-6 to loss today to Chicago. Royals had a 6 nothing lead, had three home runs, including the fourth home run and 40 at-bats from Ryan O'Hearn. That was great to see. And it was cool seeing today, too, that the Royals started rookies and or guys with less than a year of MLB service time from 5-9 to nine in their batting order. But Heath Fillmeyer struggled, and nobody really wants to hear about today's game. So let's talk about my trip to Wilmington first here. So Wilmington, Delaware, three weeks ago, went there. First of all, I highly recommend anyone make this trip, and I'm really hoping the Royals stay with Wilmington as an affiliate as the contract is up at the end of this year, as it is with Lexington, as it is with Burlington, and it was with Omaha before the Royals just renewed that contract. But Wilmington, the reason I say that is that Wilmington locally has been trying to move to AA for quite some time, and I also want more regional rivals there. Um, The Carolina League, they're the, the furthest away from all the rest of the teams. They'd rather be playing in the same league as some of those teams that are clumped there within an hour and a half of Wilmington. So for those two reasons, the Blue Rocks franchise has been trying to move to double A. And I know the Royals probably deep down wouldn't mind having, you know, a a franchise at the high A closer to double A when you have guys going between, you know, high A and double A in theory. But Wilmington's been a great affiliate. I hope the Royals stay there. I could not believe how great the stadium was, how first class that organization is run. Or franchise, I guess it'd be called a franchise, wouldn't it? The Royals of the organization, whatever. You know what I'm saying. The Wilmington Blue Rocks franchise. Everybody was so professional, top-notch. I mean, some of it's, I, I did get a scoreboard welcome. It said Davo from Mix 93.3 Radio in KC. That's my quote-unquote regular job during the week, 3 to 7 p.m. here in KC on that radio station hosting. But 
you know, that was a thrill for me getting that kind of welcome. But, but besides that, throw that out, you know, beside the point, everybody was so kind there. It's a great ballpark. It's clean. They do a great job of restoring and, and you know, keeping Royals history there in the concourses with everybody that's ever played in KC that played there year by year. It's just a very, very, very cool, by the way, uh, team store there with lots of stuff. Very, very, very enjoyable trip I had to Wilmington. And I didn't realize how close it is to Philly. So I flew into Washington, D.C., thinking that was the best way to go and rent a car. It was only about two hours and 15 minutes or so from Reagan to Wilmington. But you can fly into Philly, and it's about a 45-minute drive. It's literally 40 minutes from Daniel Frawley Stadium there in Wilmington to go watch a Phillies game, which I did. I was able to double dip and do an afternoon game in Wilmington and a night game in Philly, which is pretty cool. So highly recommend you flying into Philly. There's so much historic stuff there, and it's only a 45-minute drive to Wilmington. Please make that trip. If they, do yourself a favor as a Royals fan. If they do renew that contract, and I hope they do, make the trip to Wilmington. But let's talk about the players there. Because let's be real, nobody really cares about how I like to Wilmington. You want to hear about the players. All right, so Blake Perkins, the guy we spoke with earlier this week here on Clubhouse Conversation, was extremely impressed with him and and just the speed of this team. So you have Blake Perkins, obviously, plus speed. Nick Heath, before he was moved up to Northwest Arkansas, complete burner. DJ Bird, a burner. Brewer Hicklin was there before getting moved back to Lexington about three days ago. He could burn. The entire team, it seemed like, was fast. And individually, I think Blake Perkins is going to be a really good leadoff guy someday at the major league level. And, you know, we're, we're talking two to three years down the road. Hopefully two years. He's been flirting this year at Wilmington with 400 as far as his on-base percentage is coming over. Began the year in Potomac, which is also in the Carolina League, so he knows that league very well. Has been up and down right around 400 on-base wise since coming over to Wilmington. That'll play. 17-game on-base trick. You've probably heard about that. I saw great patience from him. It's a smart baseball player, is Perkins. He's focused. And from talking to him, a guy that wants it really badly, understands his role. His role is not to hit home runs, though he did go deep the night we talked to him a couple nights ago here. He's a gap guy. He's going to take pitches, shuffle through pitches. He knows the strike zone, very good knowledge of that, and understands his game, which is playing great defense, getting on base, moving over, and scoring runs via the stolen base and via his teammates. So a guy that I think is probably two years away from the major leagues and maybe three years from contributing at at a higher level. I think he's definitely a piece that you will see at the major league level. Of course, he came over for Kelvin Herrera. The bat's going to keep getting better year after year for Blake Perkins. DJ Burt, a guy that is obviously ready for double A. I like what the Royals are doing, though, at at low A and, and high A. It's kind of what they did with the Hosmer era, where they're letting guys stay together and win championships and competing together and coming up year by year or kind of as a group. The pitching may go a little faster, we'll see, but the position players are kind of doing that. DJ Bird is obviously ready for double A. He's got a 380 on base percentage. That'll play. He does still struggle some defensively, but a guy that I saw a lot of, a lot from, I should say, with the bat speed, seems to know what he's doing. Seems to be able to use the whole field better than in the previous years. So I like that a lot from DJ Burt. Uh, Mibris Valoria behind the dish has been tearing the cover off the ball since around July 1st. He's just one of many in the great line of KC catchers. My goodness, you look through this entire organization. First of all, Salvador Perez at the major league level, right? Then you go down the line, you know, down at, at low A. MJ Melendez is by far the cream of the crop when it comes to Royals minor league catchers, and he will be the heir apparent most likely to Salvador Perez. Probably in three to four years, you could expect MJ Melendez, maybe three years, to be up here 
and ready to play every day. I mean, when I say heir apparent, MJ Melendez could be up here in as soon as two years. But realistically, it's three to four years before he moves in and plays every day at the major league level. You're not going to see him coming up until he's ready to take over and until they're ready to either move Salvador Perez to first base or to a different team. But I do think Melendez is your next catcher of the future. He does everything exceptionally well. I've yet to see him play in person, so I'm not going to talk too much about him. But Sebastian Rivero, another guy on that same team that's, I mean, not as high of a ceiling as Melendez, but he certainly has a major league ceiling as well, whereas Melendez is major league all-star is his ceiling. Rivero's got the ceiling of MLB. Valoria, like I said there, Wilmington's great. Xavier Fernandez, I've seen a decent amount from at AA. I like him a lot. Cam Gallagher, Nick Dini, even Luis Villegas, a guy that I was talking to my buddy uh, Clint Scholes the other day, who's one of my favorite prospect guys. Shout out to Clint in case he's listening. Him and I were talking about Villegas, and, and I told him, I think he, he reminds me of like the Juan Gratterall type. Juan Gratterall backed up Salvador Perez at, in 2009 at Lowe Burlington, Iowa, and kind of was bouncing around, kind of like a Manny Pena, except that Gratterall never came to the major leagues with the Royals when, when Pena did. But yeah, Villegas seems like a catch-and-throw guy that I could see even getting a cup of coffee with a different organization. You know, for a few months, sometime in the future. So that just shows you when he's like the seventh or eighth best catching option in the organization, how strong you are there. So was very, very impressed by Valoria. I guess long story short, I got off on kind of a tangent about the Royals catchers, but uh, some other hitterish guys there were not light tower power or anything, but some guys that do seem to have a ceiling of plus hit. Emmanuel Rivera at the corner there, third base. Gabriel Cancel. Those are two guys that to keep your eye on. I didn't see a lot of them in the, in the three games I saw, but I know that they, what they're capable of doing. Pitching-wise, the one guy I saw that blew me away, I was very impressed by Tyler Zuber, by the way, who we spoke to earlier this year on Clubhouse Conversation, kind of closing out games for the Blue Rocks from Arkansas State, much like former Royals farmhand Andy Ferguson went there as well. But uh, Andrew Beckwith, a guy that still doesn't have an ERA, 0.00 in seven appearances, nine-plus innings. I happen to be there for his first appearance with uh, the Blue Rocks against the Salem Red Sox. Blew away two innings, few Ks. Looked phenomenal. Throws down under three quarters and over the top. Command was insane the night I saw him. Best command I've seen by a Royals minor league pitcher in, gosh, I don't even know how long. Several years. That's how good it was. I don't want to become a victim of the moment and overstate things too much, but it was really impressive. Really impressive. I will say, incidentally, the best command I ever saw in a Royals minor league pitcher, speaking of Burlington, Iowa, 2009, was Mike Montgomery in 2009. He threw a shutout against somebody when I was up there. Maybe the Clinton Lumber Kings, possibly. Best command I've ever seen. But as far as relief pitching command the last few years, Andrew Beckwith, without a doubt, looks like a stud. We spoke with him as well on Clubhouse Conversations, so check that out. I promise I'm not just trying to pimp the site here. We just happened to talk to all these guys and impress me. So, Wilmington was a great trip. Overall, there, you know, there's not... There's not like, you know, it's, it's not Lexington where you've got what? I mean, legitimately about 10 guys on that Lexington roster that will likely see Major League time with the Royals. Like, legitimately, there's probably 10 guys if you go through that roster that probably will play in KC someday. Wilmington, more like five, maybe five or six, but they've got, and, and there's not the high upside guys now that Khalil Lee is no longer there. But, you know, Valoria, I would expect to have some sort of Major League career. I'm not sure that it'll be in Kansas City. Considering the surplus of catchers, that could be a guy you could see in package at some point. Um, Beckwith will certainly be a guy I think we'll see out of the pen someday. Perkins I think we'll definitely see someday. I think DJ Burt's got a shot. So, you know, there's some guys there. But Northwest Arkansas, surprisingly, you know, I'd heard and, you know, and 
for many people, including a couple of scouts I talked to, that there's not a lot there as far as Major League talent. That AA and AAA for the Royals isn't the best it's ever been, and that's true. But that doesn't mean there's not good talent there. In fact, I was surprised how many good infield prospects were there at Northwest Arkansas. Now, this one's only a about a three-hour and 15 drive from the Missouri side of KC. Three and a half maybe from Johnson County. It's a trip everyone should make. Omaha's same drive. Omaha's even quicker. Omaha's about three hours and ten minutes to Papillion from most of the Casey area, less than that from the airport area, Northland. But but definitely recommend Northwest Arkansas there and Springdale's where the Naturals play. We all stay in Fateville at the Hotel Chancellor. Super nice hotel. One of my favorite hotels ever. Probably next to the Roosevelt Hotel in Hollywood. Uh, amongst my favorite hotels there are. Hotel Bothwell is awesome in Sedalia too. But love me some uh, Hotel uh, Chancellor there in Fayetteville. Make sure you check out the Mellow Mushroom, best pizza in the world. But let's talk baseball. Back on track. Three great infield prospects. Jackson Flores, Eric Mejia, Kevin Gutierrez. Let's start with Flores. He's almost 25, so he's 24. So, you know, calling him a great prospect is not accurate, right? I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, he's a little old and and doesn't do enough things at a superb level where you can look at him as a stub, but I certainly think Jackson Flores does have the ability to be a utility guy at the major league level. Potentially, if he hits, if everything clicks, potentially could start a couple years. I think he's more of a utility type, but I like Jackson Flores a lot. Nobody ever talks about him. He's almost 25, so next year has to be the year for him, right? I mean, he's putting that together this year. He's got a 368 on base there in the Texas League, 814 OPS out of a middle infield guy. That'll play. Uh, it's notorious hitting league, of course, so we'll keep that in mind. You probably take away 50 points when he goes up a level, at least. But, I mean, he is hitting 319 if you're into batting average, 24 stolen bases. So 24 years old, he's going to steal 30-plus bases this year. He's going to, on base, over 360, right around 375. A little bit of pop in there. I love his energy. He's almost too hard on himself, though. The three games I saw, Flores takes every out like it's the end of the world. I kind of like that, but that'll also drive you crazy. But Jackson Flores, definitely a guy to keep your eye on the middle infield spot there for Northwest Arkansas. Next year will be his big year. Be kind of interesting to see if anybody looks at him in the Rule 5, by the way. Same with Eric Mejia. They're kind of the same types of players as far as utility-type guys in the big leagues. Mejia came over from the Dodgers as well. He's 23, so he's a year younger. Um, than Flores, but Mejia came over from the Dodgers. When that trade was made, I had a, a, a scout from the Dodgers tell me that his double-A manager last year thought he was big league ready. So he's in, in that regard, he's been a little disappointing this year probably with the bat, but he does have 32 stolen bases, does Mejia. Respectable 320 on base, not great, but can play all over. A guy that certainly will probably play in the major leagues. He is obviously a higher ceiling than Flores does. I think both Flores and Mejia will play in the big leagues. So will Kelvin Gutierrez. Besides Blake Perkins, who we talked about earlier, the other key cog in that trade for Kelvin Herrera with the Nationals. Now, Gutierrez, when he first came over, we heard, you know, both him and Perkins, we heard Lorenzo Cain comps on defense for Perkins. We heard Joe Randa comps on defense for Gutierrez. I saw Gutierrez make one play, a real nifty play to his left, where he kind of hopped up and, and made it from his left, spun around and gunned out a fast runner from the left-handed you know, side of the batter's box there for Springfield when I was up there. So I saw him also airmail a throw that wasn't great. But you can see he makes he's very steady at third. You can see the hands are very good. Um, just soft, it looks confident, just looks the part at third base. And the bat's coming around since it came over as well. 11 for his last 33, by the way, the last 10 days for Kevin Gutierrez. 780 OPS with five home runs since coming over to Northwest Arkansas. I saw one of those home runs. He blasted one against Springfield and also had a walk-off hit that day uh, to right center in the bottom of the ninth to walk it off on a Sunday afternoon. I believe it was two weeks ago today, actually. 
for the Naturals. So I, I saw a lot of Gutierrez, and he keeps hitting the baseball. So that's certainly, I don't think you're going to see him this year. Some people think they may put him on the 40 and get his feet wet for next year. I don't see that happening. I think Dozier is going to finish out the year mainly at third base, and they seem intent on giving Escobar reps. I haven't even heard what's going on with Chesler Cuthbert. I think he may be coming up at some point, although don't believe he's in any rehab at the moment. So who knows what's going on with Cuthbert. And we had a little bit of a setback a while back. But I don't see Gutierrez this year. Uh, playing at third base, I think he starts at Omaha next year, and I think he works his way up to Kansas City June or July of next year and comes up at that point. Now, pitching-wise, a guy that used to be a top six or seven guy in this organization, even as recently as early last year, Foster Griffin, the lefty, I saw him on the mound, and he looked good. Seven shutout innings against Springfield with six Ks. That's just one outing, but... His last five starts, he's sporting a 1.45 ERA. 31 innings, just five runs allowed in his last five. So Foster Griffin at this point uh, you know, is, is no longer in probably a good thing. No, no bashing the kid because he does have big league upside, and I still think he's got a, a decent shot of making it, especially being left-handed. But he's no longer the guy you look at as the top dog. And, you know, Kyle Zimmer and Foster Griffin and Scott Blewett, those were kind of three of the guys as recently as a year or two ago. None of those guys are even in your top seven or eight now, which is probably a more in- indicative of how much high-quality pitching the Royals have brought in, more so than a bash on those guys. Because Griffin's still a good pitcher and still has upside, as does Blewett. I didn't see Blewett throw in the series, but Griffin looked good. Problem is, nothing looks plus. And from talking to the scout there, you know, nothing, nothing is like an above-average pitch for him. When you look at it towards the big league level, he's like a fringe number five from what the guy I was talking to was telling me. So I don't know. About Griffin, I thought he looked good. I saw him last year throw once, and he looked okay. So not giving up on him by any stretch. Definitely a guy that you can keep your eye on. Definitely a guy the Royals have for inventory. And we'll talk more about some of the starting pitching arms later. It's actually, if you stop and think about it, the Royals are in pretty damn good shape starting pitching-wise. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. First, though, Junior Marte. You know, Andrew Beckwith was the kid in Wilmington that really impressed me. Junior Marte, I'll give Clint Scholes a, a little tip of the cap if he's listening right now, too. We're one of the first guys that brought him up about a year and a half ago, before anybody else was on him. And I've come around as well. I saw Marte through last year, saw him this year. Greatly impressed me out of the pen. Terrific stuff. The day I saw him, the, the command was there the day I saw him. And I mentioned that to my uh, the scout that I keep bringing up. I don't want to use his name because he won't tell me things anymore. But... And the scout said, well, you know, you're, you're crazy. He does not have terrific command, Davo. And I'm like, well, the day I saw him, he did, damn it. <laughs> the two days I have saw him, he did. His command was actually good that day, but apparently he doesn't normally have great command. So the stuff nobody's going to debate, Junior Marte, just 23 years old. He's getting a K per inning this year at AA and an ERA just a nick over three. So certainly a guy you could see competing for the Royals bullpen at some point next year. Another guy I didn't see throw, but I from the same scout, he told me the guy to watch that the Royals really like is Franco Torero, just 23-year-old right-hander. He's getting a K per inning at Northwest Arkansas, but does have an ERA over five. So nobody that's right on their radar. Did not see Andres Machado throw this time around, but I think we know what we have there. Yeah, I, I, I consider him below Marte at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, Northwest Arkansas was a good trip. The, the biggest takeaway there was the infield. The three infielders that will all play in the big leagues. I really, I really like Jackson Flores the most out of all of them, and I, nobody seems to be talking about him. It's kind of like Elio Hernandez, or is it a liar Hernandez there at Triple A Omaha? My bad. But Hernandez at Omaha, there, no one's talking about much either. And I think there's a shot we could see him as soon as September. Now up to KC. Let's wrap this up here. The last ten minutes or so. So we know it's year one of a four or five year rebuild, right? And when I say four or five year rebuild, I mean until the Royals are playoff-type team. We're probably five years away if things go well. Four, maybe, if everything went perfect, when the Royals could compete and win a division. It's possible. 
especially with Cleveland probably going downhill here in the next year or two, and the Twins look lost, Detroit looks lost, the White Sox don't look prepared. I don't know. The Royals could compete in a couple of years, realistically. I'm not, but realistic. I keep saying the word realistic. Realistically, okay. Realistically, the Royals are going to compete in four or five years from now. So that's why I say four or five year rebuild. And we've been talking for quite some time how year one's by far the worst, right? Because the start of this year, we didn't know who Blake Perkins was. We didn't know Jackson Coar and Daniel Lynch and Chris Bubik and and you know Calvin Gutierrez and who am I forgetting Brady Singer we didn't know the names of all these guys and there'll be one more year of those guys coming into the system next year when you get the number one or two pick and and you know make some more moves there in the international market and stuff like that so year one sucks because the start of year one you don't really know who the next wave is right and then year two of the rebuild you still haven't seen most of the guys come up but by the end of year two we're going to pretty much know the names of all these guys that are going to be the next wave like you know we knew Hosmer we knew Moose we knew Salvi before they came up especially Hosmer and Moose we knew Butler we knew Gordon Duffy on and on right Will Myers that helped get the Royals, James Shields, and Wayne Davis. You knew all these guys were coming, and it was exciting to follow them, and you could see the light at the end of the tunnel. Year one of a rebuild, you typically can't see the light at the end. So this is the worst year. It's the worst year at the major league level. you know. But now we're starting to know some of the names of the, of the next wave coming. So year two will be a little easier, and by year three, it will be fun. Because year three, we'll start seeing the Khalil Lees come up and... You know, we'll have, you know, Gutierrez will be up here and Lovelady and some of the guys we'll talk about in a bit, you know, Nikki Lopez, or, you know, and then we'll be seeing guys like uh, the Lexington guys at double A AA and triple A. So year three will be fun and year four will be a blast. So, you know, I, the way I look at it, we have one more bad year of a rebuild left and that's about it. Year three of the rebuild is going to be fun because people are going to start coming up and then the other guys are going to be within a, a three hour drive of watching in person in Northwest Arkansas and Omaha. But at the major league level, Brett Phillips came over, of course, along with Jorge Lopez in the Mike Moustakas trade. I think everyone agrees that was a very good trade by the Royals. Good trade for both teams, probably especially for the Royals. Brett Phillips, just 24, former top 100 prospect. We know he's got one of the strongest arms in MLB and some of the best range, obviously. We've seen both already on display, including that 100-plus mile-per-hour throw from center, second-highest speed ever for an outfielder during the StatCast era. So we know Brett Phillips defensively you know, has it. Uh, play, play uh, a pretty good knowledge of the strike zone. Will he hit enough and get on base enough at the major league level? That's the million dollar question. If he does, this trade's a resounding success. The Royals have a good year or two to find out uh, before your Lees and, and Perkins, those types of guys are coming up. Another guy competing with Phillips, I would imagine, in an open competition for center field next year will be Brian Goodwin, who came over from the Washington Nationals for nothing for a pitcher the Royals took out of indie ball. But Goodwin currently on a rehab with Omaha, homered in his first A beat today. He has produced in the small amounts of time he's seen at the major league level. He's been in that jam-packed Washington Nationals outfield. I'll be interested next year to see how they divvy up Phillips and Goodwin, right, in center. And you know, a lot of teams you'd say, well, move the other one to left or right. But here you've got Gordon that's going to play every day or five days a week in left. You've got Bonifacio and Solaire, so that's, you know, you got the DA spot, thankfully, but you've got five bats for four spots. So it'll be interesting. An injury or a move will probably end up taking care of that, but it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Ryan O'Hearn, 25-year-old. I wouldn't call him a huge prospect. I don't know what we have with him, but again, that's what rebuilds are for. You find out what you have, especially in years one and two. I don't want to see Lucas Duda playing much anymore. I don't want to see LCDs Escobar playing much anymore. I want to see O'Hearn in the lineup three out of four days from here on out. He's 25. We saw his fourth home run, as I mentioned earlier, in 40 ABs. A guy who hit better against lefties this year at AAA. Yet the Royals, I don't think, have started him yet against a lefty, have they? If they did, it's only been once. 
didn't help his, himself today going 0 for 3 against the lefties. But, I mean, he's been, you know, deserving of the spot, I think, to hit against those lefties, considering where the Royals are at in the standings, considering his success against them in the minors, and considering they need to find out what they have in him. Because probably not a guy that's a huge part of your future, as much as I love Ryan O'Hearn, one of the nicest guys ever. We've had him on the show several times. I do think he's got a nice major league career ahead. I don't know that at first base he'll be the guy the Royals want long term, but certainly you need to play him every day and find out what you have. This is the perfect time before some of the other guys start coming up. And that's one spot in the Royals system that is kind of weak is the corner spots. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But Ryan O'Hearn, likely more of a gap guy to major league level, probably more of a 12 to 15 home run type guy at the major league level. Hunter Dozier, if you want to know more of the power, is more like a 20-home run guy at the major league level. So it'll be interesting to see what the Royals do with those two guys, but I want to see O'Hearn playing every single day. Alberto Mondesi, if he was still you know, prospect eligible, would be the number one guy in the system. He continued to see every day his tools. You know, Dayton Moore, two years ago, thought he might be the next Francisco Lindor, and you can see that with the off-the-charts range on defense. Great arm, off-the-charts speed. He's got power. He's a dynamic player. Could be a five-tool type guy. The sky's the limit for him. And I think there's a good shot of Mondesi becoming a multi-time All-Star. I don't think he's ever going to be Francisco Lindor, but I do think he could become a multi-time All-Star and and help spearhead this next era of Royals baseball if he can stay healthy. And again, let's play him every day and find out. If he if he breaks down, oh, well, you're going to lose 100-plus games anyways, and it's the end of the year, so just rest him after that. Let him get well for next year. Play him every day. Quit babying him. That's my thoughts, although I don't know everything that Ned Yost knows, so I don't know the amount of info, so I'm sure they know better. But from the, from my studio seat here, I'd like to see him playing every day the rest of the year and seeing what he has. If he breaks down, he breaks down, but let's find out, right? Pitching-wise at the Major League level, there's two bright spots, really, if you look at the future future, and that's obviously Brad Keller and Jake Junis. We've seen Danny Duffy be a lot better, but I don't consider Danny Duffy part of the next wave, nor do I consider Whit Merrifield part of the next wave. That's why I'm not going to really talk about them much today. Jorge Lopez came over with Phillips from Milwaukee. He is 25 so we'll need to see something out of him in the next couple of years. The Royals aren't sure if he's a starter or a lever, but he is a former top 100 guy with great stuff. It was okay, other than that grand slam. <laughs> it sounds like Daryl May right now. Remember Daryl May for the Royals back in like 03, 02, 04-ish? Ah, oh, man, I thought I pitched great today except for those four pitches. Other than that, I made great pitches. Well, dude, you can't just take away four home run pitches. Any pitcher in the history can say that, but no. Anyway, he was okay besides the grand slam at his first start. I was actually at that game. thought the stuff was good. Looked rusty. Hadn't, I don't think thrown more than 80 pitches in this, this year, 75 maybe. Correct me if I'm wrong. Heath Fillmeyer. Eh, Mike Wood part two. I mentioned that earlier today. That's just who he reminds me of. I haven't even looked at the stats to see if it backs it up. He just reminds me of a swing guy. He's like a 4A starting pitcher. Well, actually, you can't even say that because he had a 5-plus ERA at Omaha this year. But kind of a 4A type pitcher. Kind of more of a long man. He's just one of those up and down type of guys for a couple years. Not much there with Phil Meyer. He's a strike thrower, but he can't miss bats. So not much there. Reminds me of Mike Wood. Sorry, Mike Wood, if that offends you. Jake Newberry got the call today, just swapped up with Jason Adam. Uh, two great guys, by the way, Jason Adam and Jake Newberry. You won't find two better guys. Uh, Jason will get another look in September. The The curve, you know, we've talked all about the spin rate. Um, the fastball view was down a little bit his last outing. A guy that has had a lot of injuries. Hopefully he's healthy. Um, I do think we'll see him in September, and I think he'll be a prime member of the bullpen or at least put himself in position to compete for that next spring. So Jason Adam, we've not heard the last of him. Jake Newberry, it'll be interesting to see how he's doing. How about a 37th rounder in 2012 for Jake Newberry? Just 23 years old still. 
So the kid's got some upside. He's 23. I mean, you got to look past the round, right? 23 years old. This year between AA and AAA, 49 and two-thirds innings, 53K. So better than a K per inning at the high minors for Newberry. And, and it, you know, at Omaha, he's got a 0.90 ERA in 16 appearances. Not even 24 till after the year. So another intriguing piece. So all in all, the Major League roster... Yeah, there's six or seven pieces to really pay attention to right now. If if you're looking at years three, four, five of this rebuild, you got your Brett Phillipses up there, your Mondeses, your your Rosell Herreras, your Dozers, your O'Hearns, your Junises, your Kellers, maybe your Newberries and and guys like that. Maybe Kevin McCarthy. There's some nice pieces up there that could be a part, but you know, as far as the next big wave of guys, I'm talking in year four or five of the rebuild. Most of these guys, Duffy won't be here. Kennedy won't be here. Gordon won't be here. Salvi, good chance he won't be here or he'll be in a different role. Um, Merrifield, you know, likely. I mean, you go through a lot of these guys. A lot of these guys are placeholders. Um, so, you know, I, it's fun, though, looking at the minor league system, though, right now. So in summary, ending with the minor leagues here, massive depth at catcher throughout the entire minor leagues. There really is. I didn't even talk about the rookie ball teams. There's a couple good catchers there, too, because I haven't done enough research for that yet. But massive depth at catcher throughout the entire system. Two very nice options in center field for the future in Khalil Lee and Blake Perkins. So you've got kind of the middle of the diamond pretty much set because up the middle, you got Nicky Lopez. You can still kind of keep Mon- you know, Mondesi basically counts to me because he's going to be here the next six to ten years, right? So to me, you can include Mondesi as part of the future slash minor league. So up the middle, you're kind of set with all those catchers like Melendez and all the different guys I talked about. you got Mondesi manning one of the two spots up the middle. Then you got guys like Nicky Lopez and then even some great utility options and Jackson Flores and Eric Mejia. And then with Perkins and Lee, the Royals are pretty much set up the middle. That's exciting. I think it's quietly happening. No one's talking about that. That's kind of one of the things that helped them win the first time. Was there up the middle with Kane and Salvi and Eski? Okay, not so much you, Omar, but <laughs> but other than that, up the middle looked pretty good. And the Royals have that looking good again. If, if you look, I mean, if you pay attention, the corner spots offensively are the one bugaboo in this system. You do have Matias, obviously, Gutierrez, Prado. So you've got some guys, none of which are really having – well, Matias is having a great year. I shouldn't say that. Matias is having a great year, strikes out too much. The Getting on base isn't quite there, but the power is. But the Royals don't have quite the upside in the corners. That's the one spot in this minor league system that's kind of weaker would be like your first, third, left, right type. But other than that, offensively, I like where they're at. I love where they're at with pitching. I mean, they're even stronger starting pitching than they are catcher. Let's go off of these names. Brady Singer, Jackson Coar, Daniel Lynch, Carlos Hernandez, Chris Bubik, Daniel Tillo. Jonathan Bolin, and then your eighth and ninth guys in the minor leagues are probably, I mean, Stalmont's probably not going to start anymore. Your eighth and ninth guys are probably Foster Griffin and Scott Blewett. That's how good your minor league starting pitching depth has gotten. And I get it. Most of those guys are still two to three to, you know, well, two to three years away from the majors, the majority of those guys. We could see one of those guys at the end of next year, like a Lynch could be fast-tracked or a Singer, a Coar. Most of those guys probably two to three years away from the bigs, but the point is, there's some pretty good starting pitching, and there's nine of them. If you hit on two of those guys, let's just say two of those guys become number two major league starters. You've already got Keller and Junis wrapped, you know, wrapped up for the next five to seven years as your four and five starters. Keller and Junis, the strikeout numbers, especially with Keller, aren't there, and you wonder how long, you know, you know, the FIP is questionable. You wonder how long can he continue this? Junis, the home run ball can be a bugaboo, but I think those guys are pretty solid four and five major league starters for the next several years. If you plug in two of those guys I just named here in about two or three years, and then, you know, 
find your Danny Duffy via trade or the free agent market. You bring in one stud like a Shields to kind of lead by example with this rotation. That's going to be a pretty damn good rotation if you bring in one guy and you can grow the rest of them. So that's looking pretty damn good for the Royals. Bullpen, I think there's some great arms as well. Not as many studs, well, except for Richard Lovelady, who could be one of the best relief pitching prospects in the entire game of baseball. The Royals have him, the lefty. Josh Stamont, same thing at the back of a bullpen. And you've got another 10 guys that are kind of in the equation, whether it be Newberry or Adam or or Torero or Marte or Grant Gavin or Andrew Beckwith or um, Tyler Zuber. You go on and on. I'm, I'm forgetting some people. But, you know, uh, the Royals don't uh, – Dayton Moore has always been able to put together bullpens outside of this year. So, And they've got enough pieces in the, in the minor leagues. And if you can grow your own starting pitching where it's cheap and affordable for the first four or five years that you bring it up, Royals are going to have a lot of money to spend to plug in whatever they need here in about three or four years. So don't discount them competing in another three to four years. When you consider the, assuming the pitching comes up, the starting pitching as it should, I mean, you're pretty much covered up the middle and starting pitching. You go spend the money on the bat, the corner bat, and a pitcher or two. The Royals will have some money to do that with all the league minimum salaries and the pre arbitration salaries. It could get pretty damn exciting for the Royals and Royals Nation come 2021. So, and, and one more bad year. 2019 is the last one and then really 2020 and beyond, I think it's going to be really fun. Maybe even more fun than the first time getting back there again. I know Dayton's up for the challenge and I hope you are as well as a Royals fan. Hey, if you made it through 33 minutes of this, I'm freaking proud of you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for following us on Twitter at Royals Clubhouse and we'll have at least uh, probably three more current Royals interviews during this season and then we'll get back to uh, or off-season former player interviews as well. In the meantime, go back and you know we've we've spoken with many of these prospects we've talked about today. If you want to learn more about Nicky Lopez, I talked to him. Richard Lovelady, talked to him. Beckwith, Perkins, talked to all of them. Hernandez, um, O'Hearn, Dozier, Alex Gordon. If you want some of the current guys, just go through the archives of current players. You'll find dozens of these guys we've been talking about. Also, I believe we're right around a hundred. Is it hundred now? 90 former Royals players. I think we're like 95 or something former Royals players as well. So, you know, appreciate you looking throughout the site and, and spreading the word. We're a not-for-profit not here. I do this for the love of the game, for the love of Royals, and for the love of journalism, and I hope you enjoy it. And we'll tell a friend. Thanks for listening. Reach out whenever you want. Take care. God bless. Have a good night. Go Royals, and we'll talk to you soon.